Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sidious Mac Podcast. I'm Chris Chavez, and this is my show where I get the chance to chat with some of the biggest names on the track, on the roads, within the coaching ranks, and across the running industry. We are still riding the high of the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials and all of the fun events that we had with Hoka while we were in Orlando. The coverage does not stop there. We will be bringing you interviews with some of the top competitors and the newly minted Olympians on the Sidious Mac Podcast in the coming days. A quick thanks to anyone who has taken the time to leave a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. A few of my favorite shows give their listeners a shout-out when they leave a review, so I wanted to start doing that at the top of these shows as well. If you want yours to be read, leave us a five-star review and let us know why you love this podcast. This week's review comes to us from Apple Podcasts in Italy from listener Margarita underscore P, a must-listen for running and track nerds, finally a place where fans can nerd out together about the best sport in the world, track and field. Great swag and community events. Athletics is cool again. Thanks to Margarita for leaving that review. We received lots of nice DMs on Instagram for our coverage of the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. We're going to keep it rolling here on the show. My guest for today's episode is Ben Flanagan. He's a fan favorite and has been on the show a few times before this. He is fresh off running 1304 at the Terrier Classic at Boston University. That time got him under the Olympic qualifying standard, which is huge because if we went back to his last appearance on the podcast in 2021, he was stressing over his ranking and chasing a fast enough time to get himself in a good spot for selection for the Tokyo Olympic Games. He didn't end up going. In fact, he finally got his chance to represent Canada last year at the World Championships in Budapest, and now his path is a little bit easier. In this episode, he'll explain that, how he found his speed again at the Very Nice Track Club, and why he's so excited to finally be in the mindset to chase some records. We also answered a bunch of your listener questions that were submitted via Instagram. So without further ado, welcome back, Ben Flanagan. All right, now we welcome back fan favorite Ben Flanagan. It's been a while. We just literally before we started recording, I was like, when's the last time we had you on? And you said 2021 because... We had gone over some of the Canadian Olympic qualifying and you were basically chasing the standard or trying to get your world ranking up as high as you could. It was this crazy stressful situation. And now you've made it so much easier for yourself by running 1304 big PB at Boston University this past weekend. And now you've got that Olympic uh, qualifier secured. So Ben Flanagan, welcome back to the podcast. And I'm sure there's a weight lifted off your shoulders this time around. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, thank you uh, so much for having me back. Um, always awesome to uh, talk with you, Chris. Yeah. I mean, life just got a lot easier. <laughs> um, you know, going back to 2021, like we talked probably right in like the final hour, like we were maybe two weeks out from selection date. And um, that was kind of like not far off the time period where I actually thought I, I had a shot at making it. So to kind of come in starting the year, hitting the standard and knowing that like I put myself in a really good position compared to, you know, doing everything I could in the last two weeks, it's a total game changer, a lot less stressful. And um, I've never hit a standard before. So I'm just like so happy to have that validation. Yeah. So even going back to 2021, can you describe, I guess, like in the moment when we, we chat, obviously you have to have like the, as much optimism as possible, you know, trying to, to keep yourself sort of in that mind frame that like, oh, I have a shot of making the Olympic team, but behind the scenes, like, I remember what happened, like one mark didn't end up counting because of cones or whatever it might've been. And then like, there was just like, it derailed at some point. And then for you, when that house of cards just comes crumbling down, what, how did you handle that? Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple things. Um, it was very dramatic because, it was. um, yeah, 
I went from a period where like I didn't I wasn't in it at all, right? And then I ran 1320 out in that race in uh Attleboro. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that went great, huge breakthrough for me. Um and the standard was 1313, but that put me in like a good ranking position. My dog is like going crazy on the door. Give me one second. Funny enough, we actually got her like we found out we were getting her at BU last year right after the race. So uh my wife's like crazy about dogs and um after this race I was like if I were you, I would have applied for another dog like two weeks ago because I 100% would have said yes. But <laughs> anyways, um, so this is Paris. She's a little sweetheart. Okay, so um, yeah, so what happened was I ran the 1320 in Attleboro and I remember like going on the rankings to see like where um, I would end up with that and the result like wasn't on there and I was like tripping out. Um, my father-in-law is like, a huge track nerd. He saw the same thing. He's like, what's up with this? And it turns out that... Um, there was something along like they didn't have the cones on the the turns or like, it was like the bricks whatever it was like we were in that weird point where like all yeah. these makeshift track meets had so many boxes to check yeah i remember it yeah it was it was a compliance issue that yeah. there wasn't a, a rail or something that resembled a rail enough that that made it a certified track to get a, a time on um it affected me but amy aloe now amy aloe's markov who was teammates at the time, she actually set the standard at that track. So for her, it was like really big deal because she was basically going Olympics. Fast forward, all, all actually ended up good. They like got video evidence, were able to rule it like a certified track like a week before selection. So that all worked out, but it still was like an emotional roller coaster having a shot. And without that performance, my ranking was not sufficient. So that sucked. That was that was problem number one. Um Problem number two was a bit complicated because um, it was COVID. Um, and Athletics Canada was originally going to select the winner of the trials as an automatic bid, which is, is what they do now. The way Canada works, you get one automatic selection for the winner, but that's it. It's not top three. And then the next two spots are discretionary. Um, and they said that because not everyone was going to be able to travel in for the meet, they were going to make it straight discretionary. So that automatic bid, which I was kind of relying on, was off the table. Problem number two. And then none of this really matters. The main problem, which I remember, this is like kind of where the, the house of cards fell, like you you mentioned. Um, I was sitting in the third position behind Justin Knight and Mo Ahmed to be selected. And there was two races. Uh, Kieran Lum was running in France and Luke Brochet was running out in British Columbia. And those were like the two guys I was worried about. Kieran went to try to hit the standard and it didn't go great. The wheels kind of fell off with 200 to go. And I remember thinking like, okay, Luke's running, you know, this random meet that no one's at in Vancouver. Like, there's no way he's going to beat my time. So I would, went to bed that night on the Eastern time zone thinking like I had it in the bag. And I remember going, waking up in the middle of the night to take a, take a piss. And I was just like, whatever you do, like, don't look at your phone. There's nothing good that can come of this. Just wait till tomorrow. And I pulled up the results and Luke just like completely balled out, ran 13-12, which is hitting the standard. So it wasn't even like who's better ranked. It's like having the standard versus not is a big deal for discretionary selection. And that was a moment I was just like, F, like, what do I do, right? Like, I was just like, went to bed and could not sleep. I was thinking like, okay, how on earth am I going to find a place to hit the standard with two weeks left? And um now, when I look back at it, I kind of knew it was over then, but I tried to go out to out West and, and hit a standard last minute. Obviously didn't happen. And I congratulated Luke. He hundred percent deserved to go. And we sent a great team and all that stuff, but it was just the the emotional toll of like thinking I was in and then not, um, it sucked. Right. And you know, my family and my now wife obviously noticed it just was like, kind of just like felt crushed. Cause I really thought it was there. But um, the main takeaway that I that I learned is like you just can't like you can't expect things like falling into place, right? Like I was at a place where it was so close of being in or out that I had to rely so much on these uncontrollable factors. Like you're just rooting for everything to work out, and I left that year being like, okay, I can't do that again. You know, I can't just like put myself in a decent place and expect everything to work out. Like if I want to make it, I have to like. I have to step up. Um, and luckily, like since I made the change to very nice working with Ronnie and my, my trajectory has been a lot better. The biggest difference from Budapest last year and this year was like, let's just hit the 
freaking standard. You know, the rankings are complicated. They're still stressful. And although I was a way better athlete last year making worlds than I was in 21 trying to make Tokyo, this was the year it's like, okay, BU is going to be set up. Guys are going to hit the standard. Like, just be one of those guys this time. So to see 13 or 4 in the clock, I was just like, holy shit, fucking A. I'm so glad <laughs> I, I have it. And it's done. So um, can't get complacent. I'm not on the team, but it just it's just so much less stressful and allows me to prep properly for the Olympics rather than stressing out in the in the most important months leading up to it. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a roller coaster. And I think like that's why when I was watching the race and, I, and the results were coming in in real time, when I saw that you'd gotten under the Olympic standard, I even like I think the next day fired off a text to you being like, what a relief, massive congrats. Just knowing all that crazy backstory from just, you know, three years ago. If I'm remembering this correctly, like right after 2021, like, yeah, you went out and ran a half marathon in 2022, both I think in Houston and in Valencia, right? And so yeah. like, it, it felt like you were making this jump already to the roads, but then obviously 2023, you're back on the track. Did you at some at any point consider like, all right, like maybe the track isn't it? I'm gonna go the roads venture. Totally. Yeah. Um, so what happened was the most notable event in that time period was my contract was ending with mm -hmm. Reebok. Um, so I had already started like a side job, you know, with a, a college recruiting company. I remember that I was getting yeah. involved in. Yeah, it was streamlined athletes, and that was kind of like my my exit plan if I didn't get re-signed a way to, well, not exit plan. I wanted to keep running, but it was a way to stay financially um, somewhat secure um, if I didn't get re-signed. So I was in no place thinking like, I for sure have another contract in the bag. It was like, I'm preparing for the worst. Um, so once I missed the Olympics and that obviously didn't help, right? For trying to get another contract, I was like deciding like, okay, what do I do here? And, you know, Fox and Reebok was naturally a bit more of a road focused group and Fox is a bit more of a road focused coach. Um, so we explored the idea of running the half marathon and um, yeah, things just really started to go well. Like I just kind of hit like a really nice block where I was really fit. Um, we made some changes. I started working out in super shoes. I wasn't doing that before, you know, just things like that. And I was really starting to find this groove. I won Canadian 10K champs in like 2840, won Manchester. And then I actually broke my toe <laughs> playing with my dogs, um, which was a huge setback and sucked. But I still ran Houston on it and ended up running 6130s. Um, during that time, um, based on my results of Manchester, Canadian champs, moving to Houston, aiming for the Canadian record, all this stuff, um, I was starting a new negotiation. And I've already decided I wanted to, to work with Ronnie and move to Ann Arbor. So it became very important to me to find a, a brand that was willing to take me on independently. I wasn't looking to join a group because I had that idea already in my head of what I needed next. And I asked Dan to reach out to on not really being that optimistic about it because of how much they were investing in OAC. I thought they weren't taking on independent athletes. And turns out like when we reached out, they're like, we want a Canadian on the roads right now. Like you should be our guy. And it just like, boom, went from like no idea what I was going to do next to like having a contract in my hand in two weeks. It was crazy. So I made the debut there uh, with Houston and it was very clear, even just the way my contract was set up, like, I was transitioning to the roads and going to basically be a marathoner. So then anyways, after that Houston race, I actually moved to Ann Arbor in March, started working with Ronnie. And it was like, it was like, I felt like I just went back in time, like five years. It was like back to the speed work, back to Ferry Field, working out with Mason, doing all this stuff that like, I really felt made a huge difference in my last year in college. And I got fast again, you know, from, from, the whole span. And even then those guys made fun of me. Like when we were doing faster stuff, they're like, Oh, the marathoner is going to try to break two minutes and 800 in this. Like, I was like, I was very token, like the, the marathon guy. And, um, sure enough, you know, I, I PB'd and some lower distance events that summer, because I broke my toe worlds was kind of off the table in Eugene. I just wasn't like prepped to run anything to the standard or get in the ranking. What really did it and bought me time on the track is I ran the Ryan Shea mile, which has this massive downhill in the middle of it, but I outkicked Hobbs for the second time that summer, I might add. 
Um, and casual, the, the, the future world record holder, right? <laughs> yeah, the future world record holder, by the way. So I ended up out kicking him in that race. I ran 353 downhill mile. Keep, keep in mind, but that really impressed Ronnie. And Ronnie was like, you know what? I think like there's something here. Like, I think you've got more leg speed than we're giving you credit for. Like, let's spend one more year trying to run the 5k. And in my mind, I was like, okay, let's do that. And if I make worlds for Budapest, I have what it takes. I'll stay on the 5k for the Olympics. If I don't, I'll transition the marathon and I'll try to make uh, Paris in that. And sure enough, you know, I ended up running 1311 indoors, 743 indoors, like everything was falling on these lower distances. And I'm like, okay, I got, I got what it takes to be good at this and made worlds. And then once we had that decision, it's like, all right, no going back now. Uh, it's like finish a job and, and make it to Paris. And that's what this year has been about. That's awesome. And then like, even looking at your 2023 sets that I pulled up in front of me, you PR'd in the 1500 last year. Like it, you ran what? 330, get yeah, 339. You've got a mile PR last year for, oh, indoors, not outright. Cause you broke. Oh yeah. That's, I, is that like a 410? That was actually <laughs> was, a terrible race. That's, yeah, that's yeah. another story. But PB um, into 3K indoors. Yeah. PB in the 5K, you got down to 1313 outdoors in May. Yeah. And, then and then you did you ran 2749 in the 10k. And yeah, then, that was that was okay. And then the outdoor five on the road mm -hmm. is probably the next big one. Yeah. And so what is it about Ronnie's training, I guess, that allowed you to refine that speed and find it all over again? Like you can get as technical yeah. and specific as you want because people enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, a big part of it was just the stimulus again, right? Like, um, just where I was at before we, it was so strength focused. Like I really felt like I was craving some level of intensity and speed work that I just wasn't getting. Um, so getting back into that, which also took an adjustment to get comfortable with again, was a game changer, right? Just running splits that I didn't think I could run, you know, like for example, a one twenty three in the, the 600, you know, for at the to end of workout, like that's just stuff I was never doing. Um, I will say the one thing you missed on there, which is probably the most surprising PB is my one. Th the one uh, K. Yeah, the one K. The 221 one K. Arguably my best PB to date. Um, but anyway, so Ronnie is so good at training milers. Always has been. Um, and for me, like I really naturally had the strength already there. And that's something that I, I that I also worked really well on with Fox. I became stronger than I ever had been before. And then once we started tying in the speed work, working out with guys that were faster than me with Hobbs, Mason actually is like quite fast, has great speed work as well. And then once we got Morgan to the crew, it's like I was by far the slowest guy in any workout that was under 5K discipline. So, um, yeah, I mean, what to get more like granular, the stuff that Ryan does really well is a huge emphasis on hill repeats, um, which I've grown classic. to appreciate. Yeah, classic, which I've grown to appreciate is like, a really good way to stay off the track, but get like really high quality power output. Um, kind of resembles running like close to all out 200s or 300s, but just aren't as intense, don't beat you up as much. Um, that's helped a lot biomechanically and um, just technically. Um, so we have these three hills that we run a lot, the Arb, Harvards and Ridgeways. And they're all within, you know, a quarter mile of each other just off campus in Ann Arbor. And, you know, people talk about Alan Webb running, you know, sub three minutes on the Arb from way back when, like all legends that went through Ann Arbor ran these hills with Ronnie and uh, the Michigan guys with Sully still do them. So that's a huge part of our like fall base. And then, um, yeah, then the track stuff is just, I mean, it's nothing like totally out of the like ordinary. Ronnie just has like staple workouts where he really focuses on finding that balance of staying smooth, biomechanically sound, but like learning how to squeeze and get comfortable running pretty fast. And that's just worked really well for me. Um, in the last year, we've really started to focus on classic, the double thresholds and combining that Ronnie's like traditional style with him being flexible about the new version of strength has, I think, honestly taken it to a whole, whole nother level. Can you describe what those conversations are like? Because I can, I can imagine them in my head, sort of like presenting him the idea. It's like, this is what everyone's doing. 
have you looked into this or something like that? Because obviously it's the trendy flashy thing and he's so old school. He's like, well, yeah, but Willis never did that or whatever it was. So those first conversations, introducing him and weaving him into double threshold work. Like there's some coaches I just had, you know, I put out an episode with um, Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker. It's like unintentionally, maybe Ben Thomas's training was doing some of that, but it's not explicitly double threshold training the same way everyone's trying to replicate the Inga Britsons. And so for you, like, it feels a little repetitive when I'm going over things with like an old school coach trying to introduce like what everyone else is doing, but how did it go with, with, with Ronnie? This is a great question for Hobbs because Hobbs is actually probably the leader of that charge because even Hobbs had to convince me and Mason too. I mean, you gotta keep in mind that I'm 29 Mason's, you know, 30, I think Mason's 30 now, but like, we're old school now too, right? Like compared to the next generation of athletes compared to Hobbs. So it's like, even Mason and I were resistant. We're like, you know, how much are you really going to get? Like why run five minute pace when we can just run four miles at 445 pace? Like it, so it wasn't just Ronnie. It was like kind of all of us. And Hobbs has spent so much time with the Europeans out in Flagstaff, Mike Smith and others that he's really learned to kind of pick up a couple of things that he thinks, you know, are useful and, and um, relay that to us. Some stuff naturally gets shut down <laughs> and some stuff, you know, with enough resistance, we start to adapt. And to Hobbs's credit, a lot of the stuff that we have adapted has, has worked pretty well. Um, so Hobbs has been kind of in Ronnie's ear about double threshold for a while. And um, we started trying it probably around like March of last year, but kind of, as you said, Ronnie's like, we get enough strength in, you know, we do double threshold in our own way. Um, I would say if, if, from my opinion, where we have the the two categories of what we did versus what we do now, like we would have these massive sessions with Ronnie, like that's nothing new, like a ton of volume, but it's a lot more intense and we wouldn't do two in one day. Right. So it'd be like, we do hills uh, or maybe we'll do a four mile timed run um, at, I don't know, 19 minutes to 1920. So pretty good. 40, 445 to 450s then do some hill repeats, then go to the tracks. So you're doing a ton of work. Yeah, but it's, a it's all pretty, long workout, right? Yeah, huge. Ends up being 16 miles. You know, you end up getting probably six to seven of like really high quality. Um, but it's it's way, you know, using now today's language, it's way above threshold, right? So Ronnie didn't like using the word threshold. That was our first thing that we decided to do X day is just use a different language. But um, and once you started doing it, Ronnie's like totally on board. He's like been flexible with it and he's learned like, kind of how we respond to it, what we can do off of it. Um, and now it's like become a total staple in our week. And he's like all in on it. It's just like, he's just fully adjusted, which is great. So there was a bit of a learning curve, but it was never like, um, you know, Ronnie's honestly like a really flexible guy. It's like, and he, if, if there's something that we believe we need, he's very receptive to it. So it, it was just, uh, just more went from like Hobbs, like all of us giving shit Hobbs to being like, oh, wait, maybe this kid's actually on something. And now we do it. So <laughs> you'll have to talk to him about it sometime and see if that aligns with his story as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Ronnie just talks to all the other coaches, a Coogan or whoever it might be, like who the, the other coaches in the circle who are it's like also learning to adapt to the changes. And so uh, I'm sure like that's another helpful resource that, that he has. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about Boston this particular weekend. Like, where was there anything in the weeks leading up to it that went from a workout or whatever it might be, or just even the, the entire winter that gave you confidence that the Olympic standard was going to be attainable? Yeah, definitely a couple of things. I mean, when I ran thirteen eleven last year, that was a huge breakthrough for me. Like that was the first time where I felt like okay, I actually belong with some of the guys I was in that race with right you know i mean joe and woody obviously ran away with the whole thing but to be coming down the home stretch with like jordy beamish and mike foppin and parsons and other guys that have kind of been beating me at that those lower distances for a long time and running a time that you know i was like oh shit that's i didn't think i would ever run this fast was pretty cool um so that was step one and then outdoors i ran 13 13 uh against cooper and um morgan where you you guys were out out there the on track fest and um, that just wasn't even like that hard of uh, to run that fast, you know, like I lost, it wasn't like an easy race, but you know, we closed in 55, like at no point did I even think we were running that fast. So to see 1313, I was like, oh my God, like 
I can run the standard this year. I didn't obviously the, the 1307, but that was a moment where I was like, okay, like, I think I have what it takes to do this. And then I tried and I ran 1316. So right when you think you have it figured out, you don't, but, um, and then I went to worlds, duked it out with those guys, got knocked out of the heats, but a lot of that stuff gave me confidence. It's like, okay, I'm definitely in a different league and BU is just fast, you know, and I knew it was going to be set up well. And when we ran 1311 last year, you know, we dropped the 244 fourth K, you know, and that kind of killed any shot we had at hitting the standard. So in my mind, I was like, okay, if I can be as fit as last year and just stronger and don't lag, like there's no reason why I don't have a shot at this. So if anything, this fall, we were a bit more aggressive on the strength side of things. Like last year, I was so insecure of my PBs that I really leaned into the speed stuff because I was like 62s were just so, 63s were so intimidating to me. Now, feeling more confident in myself, I was like, I can focus on the strength side and, and kind of dive into the speed when I actually need to. So we had a really strong fall. I was a bit more aggressive with that. Lot, big, big volume sessions. Tapped into 100 miles a couple times a week, which is something I, I have not done in the past. And then we transitioned probably not until mid-December, early January to some real intense stuff. And just a couple workouts with Morgan, you know, we just were naturally clipping off 235Ks, 237Ks. And it's like, this doesn't feel that bad. You know, there there might be something here. And then after we got to January, we kind of turned up the volume a bit more to some 5K specific work. And they all just went well. Um, so last week here, you know, I'm, I'm a very confidence-based athlete. I respond really well to, you know, getting indications that I can do something, whereas other athletes don't necessarily need that as much. So I came to Cape Cod early because Hannah's from here and, you know, we do this every year. We bring the dogs, you know, we come to Cape Cod and I drive into Boston for a couple workouts. And my two last workouts are the ones where I was like, all right, I think I'm ready for this. I did a two by 12, four by four and a 12. It's a classic Ronnie workout all at 5k pace. And that went well. And then I accidentally overlapped with OAC Europe for my last workout at BU. And we just like, we're crushing 61s. And I'm like, yeah, okay. tell us about that one. Because I, I, I heard through the grapevine that it was impressive for George Mills too. Well, that was a different one. Um, okay. And obviously George Mills, you know, popped off. So I'm sure whatever he did was impressive. He's in great shape. So I ran into uh, Sebastian and Noah, who I've never met before. One, uh, Sebastian's from uh, from Austria. Noah's from the Netherlands. And then uh, Charles Grethen um, from Luxembourg. And uh, this wasn't crazy. This was like the Monday before racing on, or yeah, the Monday before racing Friday. So tune-ups. But we just did... Uh, five by 400, five by 300 off of, um, 45 second rest. And we we're just like 61, 61, 61, 45, 45, 40. Like it was just like not super sexy, but like, okay, this isn't that hard and we're running pretty fast and we're not really resting, which for me is like an indication, like I'd be, I'll be able to do this for 5k. Um, so that, that was good. Um, going into it though, is it was kind of like, how's this first mile going to feel? And once the gun went off, like it felt great early on and I knew I had a shot and then really it was just about not screwing up the last UK, which we almost did. Did any, did any part of you get worried of the fact that you and Morgan were split from the heats? I know like, I guess the on, they put all the on guys like in the first one and purposely, I guess like the pace, the pacing of it was they wanted to try and balance or the organizers for FBU wanted to try and balance out both heats. So that they both would go out in seven fifty to seven fifty three ish for through three K and you know, having the right bodies and so that it, if it's strung out and you're in the back of that line, you're not a couple seconds back of the pace, but I found it interesting. I was like, Oh, Morgan wasn't in your heat. So like you guys have done everything together. I know it's a solo sport, but there's a little, little level, there's a little level of comfort, I guess that probably comes from like having your teammate there. Yeah, for sure. Um, it would have been great for us to you guys um, almost ran the exact same time too. I know, right? Yeah. It's uh it was it worked out it worked out great. It would have been great to race Morgan, but um I mean both of us are actually, you know, and I'd be curious if he had to admit this as well, but we're pretty naturally competitive with each other. Like um we work out great together because we have slightly different styles. Morgan is just very good in general and really good at working out. Um but, you know, we both want, you know, I'm older than him. I went to Michigan. He's younger than me. Went to Michigan State. He's like, you know, getting better every year. I'm like, only have so much time left in some of these distances. So, like, both of us has a bit of an ego that I think we do bring out uh, a bit of, like, some competitive fire that 
I would argue helps both of us. So what I heard going into it, like originally on was going to have a lot of guys together, which gave me a lot of, you know, like confidence about a bunch of guys were in there. And I figured Morgan would also be in there. And then as we got closer, what I was told is that the heats would be split even. Um, the OEC guys were going to stay together because, you know, they're a big part of how this whole thing came together, but everyone else was just going to be like snaked based off of PBs. So um, that was a moment where I just told myself like, okay, it doesn't matter. Like there's so many good guys, whatever happens, it's going to be great. And the last thing we really want to do is like get nervous before the race even starts about something that we can't control. Um, so I would kind of prepared myself for whatever that Morgan and I weren't going to be together. I wasn't gonna be in the heat I wanted all that stuff. And I was just like, it's going to be fine. And the heats came out, both looked perfect. Um, Morgan and I weren't together, but like, that was totally fine. I think we both handled it great. And, um, we work out apart from each other quite a bit. Like he spends a lot of time in Flagstaff while I'm in Ann Arbor and like Ronnie trains us both very similarly. Um, but Morgan almost always runs like a second faster than me on everything. Um, so it was like classic that he ran 1303 after I ran 1304. Um, so I was giving him a hard time about that, but you know, we were like super happy for each other. It's just like really cool to, to both do it. And it got the whole group pumped up too. Mason and Hobbs. They're just like, it's validating for everyone because we've been working for this a long time. And it was like a moment where we really didn't know, like if we were there or not. So that validation was, was pretty cool. Yes, it's a race, but it also was basically a time trial to get as many guys the olympic standard as possible for you how did you manage to find your position among like all of those bodies everyone kind of wanted to sit on that you know 1305 line yeah at some point like at the front of the race the likes of yarid and george were going to take off and and do their thing but the camera loses sight of what happens sort of in that backpack because it's focused on them what happened at that at that point in the race when it things splinter? Now you've got to kind of like hold your position in that, you know, Olympic standard rate at like a pace. So I mean, to to preface this, like time trials have been what I'm disproportionately bad at in my career, right? Like a lot of my success or highlights or accolades all come from competitions, winning races, doing well in, in big competition. And I've never hit a standard. So I've always kind of like respected the difficulty uh, for me, at least, of hitting standards. Um, and I'm impressed by athletes that routinely can run fast because it's something that I've had a hard time doing, especially in races that are set up to do exactly that, you know, go out from the beginning and just stay on pace. It's not my style. So knowing that I was really focused on not getting caught up too far back, having to pass a lot of people. It was really just about like minimizing any sort of errors that were going to waste energy. And even with that in mind, I still found myself too far back. But, um, you know, we were on. Like I told, like the way I broke it down mentally was like 10 laps, count to 10, get to 2K. Then count to five, count to five, count to five. That's all like it was about. And when I got to 10, I saw we were like 515, perfect. Nothing to worry about. We got to 3K, that's when people start to labor, you know, start to get the, the pace, start to catch up to them. And that's when there's a lot of movement. So we actually ended up a bit slow, um, 7.55 flat for me. And to me, it was just like, all right, just don't lose the main group. And within three laps, I just remember looking up and I was like, how did that even happen? Like George Mills, I didn't even know it was George Mills, to be honest. I didn't know George Mills ran 1258 until probably four hours after the race. But someone was just like gone. And I was like, well, fuck, I guess I missed that move. Like him and Yard were gone. And and I probably got a little too complacent with like, okay, I'm in a good spot here. You know, Joe was still there. Beamish was still there. Morgan McDonald was still there. I think that's the part that throws off. people off. Is and, and like yeah. you being in that position is like, oh no, the guy who ran twelve fifty four or whatever it was last year was is in right here. Position. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, like it's not even like I didn't even feel like like missing the move was an understatement or deciding not to go. It just was done. Like I don't know when it happened. I looked at the splits. There was a couple twenty nines in there, but they were gone. And that was over. Like that, that was missed. Like it would have been a huge energy surge to go, but I was like, all right, just hang with these guys. And I saw the next split and my benchmark in my brain was, was 1030. That's what I wanted to be at at 4k. Cause if you come through in 1030, 
I mean, you still got, you know, 235 hit the standard, 234, which is like pretty comfortable, you know, idea for the last K. And if you really ball out and go 229, you're sub 13, right? Because that, you know, when you get to 1305, you might as well start thinking about breaking 13 minutes, right? So we're like 231 or 1031. And I'm always like, I'm neurotic. I'm like, I hope it's like 231 flat, not 231.9, right? Because that's the difference between a 233 and a 234. Sure enough, like the next few laps are where things, I was like, we're good enough, but like, I need to not do anything to like screw this up. And the next few laps, we were like literally on the the most conservative threshold we probably could have been to still let it happen. I think it was Jordy and All In that were definitely like pressing. And we were like 31 high, 31 high. And I saw 400 to go. We were like 12.06. And same thing crossed my mind. I'm like, okay, if that's 12.06 flat, we're fine. If that's 12.06.9, like we got to go. And I told myself to wait one more lap. And then when I saw the clock at 12.36, I was like, I've got to freaking close this out hard. And I just... Because in my mind, too, I was like, okay, Jordy's here. Jordy's going to close in 25. So if I can just close to Jordy, we'll be fine. And when we hit 200 to go, Jordy didn't go. So I went. And then sure enough, I was the guy that got out kicked by Jordy Beamish in the last straightaway. But There's um, always somebody. <laughs> there's always someone. But they, people were going crazy. I could hear my family going nuts. And, like, I hit 100 to go. And it was just like, just don't freaking light up. Like, literally, like, just don't leave anything out there. And I crossed the finish line seeing 1304, but until I saw it on the board, I was like, not going to get too excited. Um, so to see it there, I was just like, I was so pumped. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe there was a couple seconds there if that fourth K went a little hotter, but like, I, I wasn't willing to take the lead. Um, and I knew if I wanted to close that hard, I, I had to wait. And I'm just lucky that we didn't bleed any more time because if we lost another second or so, that would have been a different story. The presenting sponsor of the City of Smack podcast is Olipop. You know we've been pounding Olipop for over a year now. 2023 was a track season to remember, and City of Smack was able to be there for all of the big moments thanks to the incredible support of Olipop. What has become known as the Runner's Soda isn't just a great companion for pregame shows or post-race shows, or if you're just watching at home and want to crack a can of Olipop open yourself, it's good for you too. It's a prebiotic soda with 9 grams of fiber, which is 32% of your daily needs, that only has 2 to 5 grams of sugar and helps your digestive health in a way that a threshold workout never could. We love it because there are 15 incredible flavors that will keep your body refreshed and ready to go for the next workout. My current favorite is lemon lime. Caitlin Tui's number one flavor is ginger lemon. There are other great flavors like Vintage Cola, Tropical Punch, Orange Squeeze, Cherry Vanilla, and I'm hearing rumors of another one coming soon. City of Smack podcast listeners get 25% off non-subscription orders by using code CITIUS25 at checkout at drinkolipop.com. You can also find Olipop at Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, Target, Walmart, Publix, and most recently, they just got added to Costco, so pro tip there. Next time you're looking for a refreshing and healthy drink after that long run or hard workout, reach for an Olipop. You won't be disappointed. Drinkolipop.com, code Sidious25. There's a bunch of amazing photos from after you cross the finish line and look at the clock. What's the emotion and how do you describe that moment? Oh my God, it was just like... There was like there was moments in the race where I thought I wasn't going to do it, right? Like it went from like this feels amazing, I got this in the bag, to this is not so comfortable anymore, and like I only have to go faster, right? So those last couple laps when that belief started to really, you know, kind of start to light up and like get some momentum, coming across and seeing that was just like it was just so freaking awesome you know like so many times you work out it's races whatever you like always leave it all out there and you just like wanted a bit more you know you never you see the clock and it's always just like slightly underwhelming this was one of those moments like something i think you can relate to with your recent performance we said oh, we're going to talk about it but you know when you come across the line and you're like fucking a like it actually is exactly what i wanted like it's a it's a pretty amazing feeling and um you know, I had a lot of family and friends there because, you know, people came in from Cape Cod to watch um, and they're going crazy. And even people I don't know track that well, they all knew I was trying to run 1305. And to be under that threshold was 
it was awesome. So cool. And it, and it couldn't have been closer, which just made it suspenseful, but to celebrate my parents and everyone that like, it was, it was awesome. You know, there's, it's been a long time thinking like the Olympics are a real thing, but the closer you get to a performance like that is where the self doubt becomes like the loudest. So to actually accomplish a goal, despite all that is it's, it's amazing. Do you cool down immediately or do you watch Morgan's race? Tell, what, ha what I happened? I watched Morgan's race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I first went and hugged my family, found Hannah, talked to Ronnie, changed my shoes. And then I was like, I'm watching, I want to see how this race goes. Right. And there's a couple, there's, I mean, there's a million things to watch there. Right. I want to see how Morgan did. Of course, if it's standard, I want to see who wins, you know, if they're going to run faster than what our heat just did. And I also want to see how Kieran Lum did because, you know, Kieran was like, for sure, a, a potential threat for a 5k spot at the Olympics. Um, so I'm rooting for him as an on guy and a fellow Canadian and also want to see like, is this guy going to be a freaking problem for me this summer if he runs a standard as well? Um, so there was a lot of things I was really interested in. Um, and you know, the race delivered like crazy Adrian balled out, uh, Nico was like ridiculous. And, um, Morgan hitting the standard, you know, with the last two laps, having to really grind for it was, was pretty cool to see. Did you get nervous for Morgan at any point? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I mean, Morgan's tough as nails and, um, He's got an amazing close. It's it's Morgan's really interesting, right? Because he he can really dig deep and front run. He's not afraid to go to the front and he's not afraid to go to the well. But if he feels good with 200 to go, like I actually don't think there's many people in North America, let alone like globally, that that can beat him. I actually think he's that good of a closer. Um, which those two things usually don't both exist, right? Like usually the people that are a little bit too cautious to press because they're saving it for a big close. Or the people that love going the front and grinding, but you know they usually it's tough for them to break thirty seconds in the last two hundred. Um, so you never know which side of Morgan you're going to get, and this was the one where he clearly was trying to break thirteen minutes and win the race, um, which was awesome. But the last three laps, it looked like things were getting tough. Um, but you know he had Adahami Nur right in front of him in his sights. You know a couple other guys that he knows really well and and wants to beat and train against other Americans that he's going to be competing for an Olympic spot. So. I knew that like he had it in them, but um, he had to work for it. And um, I was, I was impressed and proud of him. He, he, he crushed it. I just pulled up like the world athletics, like road to Paris, just to get an idea of like how things are looking. So right now it looks like what Mohamed has the qualifying standard from Monaco last year, 1301. Then yeah. you're in the second spot, 1304 from BU. Uh, I think your world, your world ranking is 22, which is pretty good. And Not then bad. after that, I guess there's Philippe Morneau Cartier. He's ranked 50th and he would be the next one in, but based off of the rankings, I think, or I don't know. He's not in the rankings quota. His ranking is 70 seconds, I think. So, okay. uh, you're in a, you're in a good spot, but then again, like no guarantees yet. What else? Do you need to do to please, I guess, Athletics Canada? Is it a full trials this year? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And this was very misunderstood. Like I had a lot of people congratulating me on making the Olympics, which is not true. <laughs> I have not made the I've qualified for the Olympics technically from like the Olympic perspective, but every country has their own ways of selecting their athletes. And I am not yet selected by Athletics Canada, which is ultimately what decides whether I go or not. So yeah, um, Basically, there's a couple things. Um, the the system is the same that it was supposed to be for Tokyo, minus the COVID interruptions. And that means the only way to guarantee your selection is to win the trials in your respective event. So now that I have the standard, which means I'm automatically good from the Olympic side of things, if I win the 5,000 at the trials, I am guaranteed to go. Which could be like a 13-20 race or whatever it is if it gets tactical totally. and like just get the win. Exactly. I won in 1336 this past summer, for example. Um, and then the other two spots are discretionary. The important detail is that the trials are not mandatory. You don't have to go. Um, and a guy like Mohammed Ahmed usually doesn't go. So it's like winning the trials isn't the same as winning a U.S. trials because you don't actually usually have everybody there, um, which does provide an opportunity. Um, however, I've now put myself in a position to I could technically do something similar to what Mo does and not go to the trials um, if I feel that confident that I'll, I will gain a discretionary selection. 
A lot of that comes down to what other players are in the game. I'm I'm comfortably seated in the second position. Um, we've got Justin Knight, who's joined Bowerman, you know, within the last year. Who knows kind of where he's going to be. And I've trained with Justin and understand his capabilities. So I never really feel that safe knowing that he's like, if he's like 50% fit, like he's good, right? So um, I'm not counting him out. We got Kieran, Lom, CPT, and then some other up-and-comers that are probably ready for some breakthroughs. So by no means am I like, is it time to coast? Um, the one thing I do need to do, like the only way to make sure, like you do have to run a national championship, um, not necessarily the trials. So that allows you to run the 10,000 meter champs in Canada, the 10K road champs. So I'll probably run one of those just to keep things like, just to keep all options open. But at the same time, like I've never run at the Olympic trials and I actually would like to be there. Um, what I just need to decide is like, what's going to be the impact of that, right? Like, is it worth going to go because I want to be there and I think I, I should be there or is it better to train for um, the Olympics and, you know, go to altitude, do something different instead. So um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to see exactly where we're at around that time. But to summarize for where I'm at right now, I'm in a good position and it comes down to just like, if anybody else decides to run the standard, um, that's where things get more complicated. It still feels a little bit easier to understand than the U S Olympic marathon trials this upcoming weekend with like, if the third guy is in or not, like I think the Canadian 5k is a little bit uh, easier to figure out than that. Dude, because... I mean, I pride myself on this stuff and the, the, the marathon trials are like about my limit of like Scott, my father-in-law, again, he's a big runner. We were like trying to, we were going over and, um, and we read your article actually as a way to like help us understand it. But, uh, it's, no, it's, I it's wow. still hairy like we're running through like five different scenarios where like if this person finishes fourth and whatever like good luck to the announcers uh on nbc who are going to be the ones announcing like who makes the right. team but it's yeah it's gonna be crazy um all right we had some questions submitted on instagram uh for you so we'll run through those to close out the show first one comes from chasing muses best donuts i think as a very nice track club guy you have your spot I should. It's actually oh. very controversial because okay. naturally it should be Washington Donuts, uh, Washington Dairy Donuts, which is Ronnie's, you know, second home. But um, I actually, my wife and I, the first date we went on was at Dom Donuts, which is actually in Ypsilanti, where Eastern Michigan is, and they have the best donuts in the area. But I love Washington. I would go there with Ronnie every day of the week. But best donuts in town, you want to go to Dom Donuts. Um, Devin Monson asks, how often do you and the very nice track club do stints at altitude? So you mentioned Morgan and Hobbs go on their own. For you, I guess, are you a super responder to it or, or not as much? Never gone. Really? Never. Well, that's not totally true. I went once in my going into my senior year of college. I spent six weeks in Colorado. But during my pro career, I've not been to altitude once. Well, for an extended period of time. There was a summit in Boulder uh, this fall. I was there for five days. But um, no, I've never gone. And um, heard a couple of, re like not, not anything that's, I'm not against it at all. It's more just like, I didn't want to be away for six weeks. And um, so anyways, I'm actually going to be going to Colorado next week um, for uh, about seven weeks going into the 10. And I'm going to overlap with the OEC guys. And uh we're doing it the way that I, I want to go. Like I'm bringing the dogs. Hannah's coming with me. We're like planting ourselves there for a good seven weeks. Um, Cause that's been a big reason why I haven't gone in the past. It's just like, I like a, a comfortable environment and the training camp thing. It, it's, it's harder to fit into my life at this stage than it was, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, yeah. But anyway, so we'll see. I, I, I have no idea what my response is going to be. I'm like meeting with a bunch of professionals right now to figure out my plan. And, um, the 10 will be like my, my altitude debut. I like that. Uh, so you're keeping your options open too. You're not just like complacent with the 5k. Like you could try and hit the standard in the, in the 10, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I would, um, I would like to, I'd like to qualify in the 10, uh, like double, but I also want to set myself up to potentially make it for Tokyo, um, the 10k at worlds there because the window is so long. Um, and I'll likely be tr 
changing events around that time as well. So um, yeah, and I think it'll help with training. There's a number of reasons. And I hate that 2749 PB I have. I want to smash, like just want to absolutely smash that. So uh, I'm excited. I, I would love to break 27 minutes, but I, I will admit I'm very intimidated by that that goal. I personally think it, it's it's more intimidating than 13 minutes, but um, we'll see. Um, coming through in 1330 sounds a lot better now than it did a year ago. Blazin Boylan asked, are you still going to try and make the Olympic marathon team? So no, it seems like those plans are- Hard no, no chance. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that is like, I mean, it's a great- The timeline question. got pushed back. So like, I guess you and Ronnie, ideally, is it 2025 fall potentially? Um, Maybe. I would be, I'd be open to 25 spring, to be honest, okay. Um, for a debut. Um, But yeah, I mean, my whole career, I've never wanted to like- force a marathon debut like i was like i never wanted to feel like i was doing it because i had to which i was pretty close to doing at some point um so yeah i mean like when we go all in on it like i want to i want to absolutely crush it like i would love to break 60 minutes and a half and you know be one of the best i mean i want to be one of the best marathons in the world hopefully like i i i am optimistically thinking it's gonna be my best event but, you know, every la marathoner that listens to this is probably laughing because including yourself, because no one knows what the marathon's like until they do one. But um, I'm very excited about that change, like to go in, on the major scene, um, try a new distance. It's going to be going to be awesome. And then I want to qualify for L.A. Uh, 28 in the marathon will be the goal. Gelfie's Candies of Cape Cod submitted a question. If you could only run one race per year for the rest of your career, what race would it be? I mean, the obvious answer for Gelfie's Candies of Cape Cod is the Falmouth Road Race. Um, of course, that would be the only one. Um, the, uh, yeah, the very uh, prestigious seven-mile distance. I love the Falmouth Road Race. So um, that's probably not actually, like, as much as I'm being somewhat sarcastic about this, it's probably not that incorrect. I love the Falmouth Road Race. Super close ties to it. So we'll, uh, we'll lock that answer in. Fred20712 asks, Arb best time. Pretty underwhelming. Um, my best is just under 310. I think it's 308 or 309. So what's this? It's um, a loop? No, it's straight up. Oh, it's one straight kilometer. up. Yeah, wow. it's a one kilometer. I don't know percent grades very well. Like I want to say 4% grade, but that's kind of made up. So no one trusts that. But uh, it takes about, so take me for example. Um, or Hobbs. Actually, Hobbs is terrible at the ARB, actually. So we won't use him as an example. Morgan or Mason, guys that are like strong 13 teens, 13 0 guys. Um, we run it hard in about 310 for a kilometer. So, you know, that's that's over five minute pace. So it's it's a good climb. Um, but there's rumors that it's gone under three minutes before. Oh, really? Um, or, or three minutes flat. Yeah. Um who did it? A couple guys. So I think the official Strava segment holder is craig huffer if i'm not mistaken australian 337 guy maybe um craig's awesome by the way i roomed with him at for bu last year but uh i think he's got the segment at three flat i don't know if it starts at the official sign that we start at all that you know local bullshit but um that's one of them i know one of the michigan guys maybe tom dodd has run like 302 or so um, Alan Webb and Sully. I mean, everybody apparently knows someone that's run three flat. I've never seen three flat happen is all I'm saying. And I'm getting pretty fucking good at this point. And I've never run three flat. So take, take every, anybody's word for it. I've run 308. Um, we do a lot of them. So we kind of actually mostly run them in like the three twenties to like three teens. But if you want to really blast one, it's, it's a, it's a bitch of a rep. Like you're, it's pretty much like running like an 800, but oh, longer. Man. Yeah. Uh, Tom Wang asks, break dancing in Riga after party. Was it real or artificial intelligence? I've seen you break that dance. That is rough. Yeah. That is, uh, I had way too much fun at the Riga after party with, was not my intention, but a uh, Hobbs just won, you know, we were just, things are just going down easy, I guess. But, um, I have this routine when I'm, when I enter this, this state of mind, um, it's a break dancing routine and anybody that's ever gone to the bars with me and seen me in a state, they don't want to see me in. I bust out the routine. It used to be quite good. Like I, I took break dancing growing up 
Uh, I was bad. You know, it's an Olympic sport too. So you can explore that option. I can explore that option, but I'm a terrible dancer, but you know, a terrible dancer that took dance lessons is still like better than the average popular. I can do, I can move my body in ways other people can. I'll put it that way. That's like the bare minimum level of talent I'll give you. But, um, yeah, I did this. I did my move three times in one night and I could tell the third time I did it. People are like, all right, like we get it. Like, the fuck off the dance floor but uh it, it was real it was too real i wish i was not there for as as long as i was um but it happened with with unfortunately some video evidence but okay. last thing i'll say is i actually was in the same for a hot minute same breakdancing class as justin bieber back in uh kitchener ontario really are there photos or videos anywhere no photos no videos it's like a 255 r it's you're just gonna have to take my word for it <laughs> all right final one i got here from A.I.E. Yosef, Ben versus Bryce Hopple in a 1,500-mile. Who wins? Ben versus Bryce Hopple. I mean, I'm going to obviously bet on myself. Um, Is this a closer race than we think? I don't think so right now. I think it definitely could be. Like, I think Bryce – I actually don't – I have not interacted with Bryce since he's been, like, affiliated, like, trading with the guys and um, affiliated with the, the crew now. Um, so I don't know exactly where he's at, but I know he's like wicked fast, like wicked, wicked fast. His speed work is like nuts. I don't think he's ready for like, uh, like, uh, well, you know what? He ran like 403 at the Honolulu mile, which I've run 359.97, which rounds up to four flat on the road. It's just saying, but, um, I think right now I'd have to do it this year because probably in a year I will never be Bryce Hopple in anything under, 5k so i i put my money on him i'm I'm undefeated right now for the 1500 on vntc no vntc athlete has beaten me in a 1500 or mile so keep that in mind bryce hopple your mile pr of 357 from the long island mile in 2018 like you can get give it a shot i would like to do that yeah i mean i would here's the thing so when i left budapest I realized that everybody in that field has run 334 or faster and runs 100 miles a week. And you're a 339 guy. <laughs> I was a 339 guy running like 70 miles a week. So I'm like, fucking hey, I gotta, I gotta obviously change one of two things. So I've started on the front end, getting my strength up and trying to, you know, get as strong as these guys. And then the back end, I would love to run 335 um, this summer. That's kind of like the, that's kind of like what I think is what I'm capable of on a great day. Things go perfect. I think I've got that in me. Um, 336 would be a bit more of a, co- of a comfortable estimate. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I- I'd like to rip one good 15 mile. That would give me a lot of confidence, especially when like I found out world championship heats, you just have to close and like, like I'll probably have to close in three. I'll probably have to PR in that. that, PR. Mile <laughs> in that yeah. I like no joke. I want to be able by the time I get to the world, the Olympic heats, I want to be able to run 35 for the last mile. And if I can't run 35 in a mile, that obviously makes that pretty hard. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to catch up and, and do this. Um, this is a blast. What's next, I guess, on your schedule? Uh, I guess you're going to just be training in Boulder until the 10? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, I'm running New Balance Grand Prix in like five days. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so I'm running the 3K there. Um. You know, no, no predictions. Canadian records, Kieran Lum, seven thirty-eight. You know, I think that's depending on how the race goes out. We got Germa in there, so and is it um, is Chuck BT in that too? So like the two of you could just go after head to head. We can, yeah. So CPT also wants it. So um, yeah, I think I think that'll go down. I would guess. Um, but Canadian records nowadays, like right now, I mean anywhere, any records are temporary. So it's like it's great to have them for the ten minutes you have them, but like. There's always someone coming up to to break it shortly after. So, uh, but that'd be a cool one. I, I've been eyeing that for actually a few years when it was 740. Um, but I think 738 is is realistic. So I got that. Then I'm going to uh, Colorado. I'm actually staying outside Golden for six weeks, running the 10. And then I, I'll probably come back to Boston and run the BAA 5K if I were to guess. And then we'll... I've never had the standard before. So this planning is like all new to me. I usually have my B, C, D... E plan of, of boosting my ranking. So I'm like, now I've got to figure it out. Yeah. I feel like no one was more well-versed in like the world athletics calendar and like what was 
a gold meet, silver meet, bronze meet, so that you could just get any sort of points than than you were the last couple of years. But I don't no. want to brag, but I agree with you. I've I had that <laughs> down, and you'd be surprised how little athletes know about it. Is the other side of it? Like there's guys that, and these are usually guys that hit the standard. They don't even think about it. But yeah, I mean it's it's you can flex it once you know the system well enough because not a, people, a lot of people know it that well. Yeah. All right, Ben. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Chris. Thank you all for listening to this episode. This episode was produced by Jasmine Fair. I love doing this for you guys, so please do me a favor and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify that helps us grow the show and get even more awesome guests. Let me know what you're enjoying about the show. Make sure you're subscribed or following on your favorite podcast players. Please share this episode with your friends if you think that they'll get any value or inspiration out of it. Let's build this thing together. Visit SidiousMag.com for a lot more. We've got a brand new website with tons more articles, videos, and podcasts. As always, I love track and field. I'm Chris Chavez. See you next time.